A 27-year-old woman presents to the ER with nausea, vomiting, and myalgia. Her symptoms began a few hours ago. She's otherwise healthy, with no significant medical history. This is DDX, a podcast from Figure One about how doctors think. I'm Dr. Raj Bardwaj. Today's case comes from Dr. Amy Ho in Dallas, Texas. I am clinical faculty in emergency medicine. Dr. Ho was in the middle of an ER shift a couple of years ago when she picked up a patient who was a previously healthy young woman. The patient in this episode is represented by the voice of a professional standardized patient, like the ones used during clinical training and exams. When I got to the room, she was laying in the bed. She was young, thin, fairly fit. She was a little bit pale, a little bit gray. She wasn't really sweaty or anything that made me think that she had a fever and on her temperature, she was fine. She wasn't really moving around. Like she kind of looked like a bowl of wet noodles in a way, just cause she was kind of floppy and looks like she just didn't want to do anything. I've been vomiting since this morning and I feel weak and achy all over. I had to leave work early because I, I just couldn't function anymore. My coworker said I should probably get checked out. So I, I came straight here. We gave her some Zofran just to help her feel not nauseous since that was her chief complaint. I ordered her some fluids and then we checked some basic labs. So we checked some electrolytes to assess for dehydration. We checked a basic blood count, which gives us signs of infection. And then we also always check a pregnancy test. And the nurses come in, draw her blood, start her IV, start giving her medicines. We let her sit and see if she gets better over some time while we see some other patients. About an hour later, while most of the blood work was still pending, a nurse told Dr. Ho that the patient was complaining of heartburn-type pain in her stomach and chest. So I ordered the patient some Pepsid, but I went back to go talk to her. She still looked about the same, except now she had some IV fluids hanging. She was still sitting in the bed looking not super comfortable. She told me that she's still pretty nauseous. And then I asked her a couple more questions, like, what does the chest pain feel like? Is it stabbing? Is it burning? And she pointed right to her, like, epigastric area, kind of under where her sternum is. It feels like a burning feeling that's going up into my chest from my stomach. And I'm starting to get a headache now. So I talked to her a little bit more, you know, that maybe the burning is from the vomiting, so we we're going to give her this medicine called Pepsid. And I also told her that we wanted to get an EKG. Dr. Ho wasn't particularly worried about the chest pain. The EKG was more of a precaution. But what did give her pause was that the patient's condition seemed to be getting worse. You know, by an hour in, I would expect her to start feeling a little better. So the fact that she'd actually maybe gotten a little worse was starting to get a headache. So that's what made me decide to go digging a little bit more. So they did the EKG, and Dr. Ho and her team saw something right away. So we looked at it, not expecting to see really much of anything. And we actually noticed that she had deep inverted T waves. T waves are a segment of the electric impulse that represents electric repolarization, and it's something we look at when we're looking for ischemia. We told her that her EKG wasn't perfectly normal, so that we were looping in some other specialists. Dr. Ho and the cardiologist asked the patient more about her medical history. She told them she'd never had an EKG or any known heart issues or surgeries. When we asked her about family history and if anyone died of a heart attack or had heart issues, she did tell us that her mother passed away suddenly when she was really little. 
But my mom didn't have a heart attack. I don't know what it was exactly, but I know it was sudden and it had to do with her brain. The moment she said her mom had died when she was really young, that caught us. Because young, healthy people who die unexpectedly is always reason for concern. And especially when I'm sitting here with a young, healthy person with symptoms that aren't what I thought they were initially. At that point, Dr. Ho realized that what they were seeing on the EKG maybe didn't have anything to do with her heart. The deep inverted T waves we saw in her EKG could symbolize actually elevation of intracranial pressure. Nausea can actually be the first sign of a small brain bleed. At this point, subarachnoid hemorrhage was racing up Dr. Ho's differential. The only piece that was missing? The classic thunderclap headache. And it was kind of happenstance or just good luck that around that time she volunteered for us that her chest pain was getting better with the Pepsid, but that her head is really killing her because, you know, a couple minutes ago she asked us for pain medicine for her headache and we kind of ignored it in in all the rush of asking her all these other questions about her EKG and cardiac history. So now she told us, can I really have something for my headache? It's really bothering me. She was scrunching up her face. She had leaned over. She was holding her head in her hand. And the headache and its progression also made us think, if this was a brain bleed, it's getting worse. So we definitely have to intervene soon. They rush her in for a CT and CT angiogram. And there it is. We see a obvious bleed on the CT, which looks like a bright spot. It was a subarachnoid hemorrhage, which for her was her anterior communicating artery. And that was her aneurysm that ruptured. My reaction was, holy crap, we would have absolutely missed this. Dr. Ho paged the neurosurgery team and started prepping the patient for emergency surgery. So as we were rolling her back from CT, we told her that a lot of things were going to happen because we knew what was going on. We told her that you're going to need surgery, you're going to the ICU, and oh, by the way, this might be what happened to your mother. The neurosurgery team opted to use endovascular coiling. They threaded a catheter into the anterior communicating artery to stop the bleed. About 60% of patients with aneurysmal subarachnoid hemorrhages would exactly what she had either die or have permanent disability. That didn't happen with this patient. She went to the neuro ICU that day. She got coiled a few hours later and then full recovery and discharged within a couple days, which is pretty incredible. Although this patient had a good outcome, Dr. Ho couldn't shake how close she had come to missing the aneurysm. I mean, we absolutely could have missed this and she absolutely could have just gone home and tried to sleep it off or, you know, took some medicine and just said it was viral. She absolutely could have gone to bed and just not woken up. Looking back, Dr. Ho is thankful that the patient's chest discomfort led to the EKG. The chest pain may have just been related to the vomiting. But getting that EKG along with the family history and then the sudden severe headache is what led them to the aneurysm diagnosis. If we blew off her chest pain as just reflux, even though it probably was just reflux, we would have missed getting more history that was really essential in finding out what was wrong with her. This case is also an example of when the end of the bed test that we're taught to do can sometimes work against us. We've all done it. Stand at the end of the bed, look at your patient. Do they look sick or not sick? 
How worried are you about them? All this leads to a gestalt, a general impression of what's going on. It's when the doctor, with our experience, becomes the diagnostic test. And just like any other diagnostic test, the end of the bed test has limitations and is prone to bias. I think it's also really important to not bias yourself against who the patient is because emergency medicine is very skewed. So we see a lot of very chronically ill people with life-threatening issues as a result of those chronic diseases. So when we do see a young, healthy person, often a female, it's really easy to blow them off as just a cold, just a flu. And I think women definitely are more prone to being blown off. Research confirms that women, especially younger, relatively healthy women, can have a hard time getting doctors to take their symptoms seriously. So for this patient, the end of the bed test of just passing by is young, healthy female. She looks nauseous. We'll fix it. She'll go home. No big deal. It's flu season. But then it's really the spidey senses of, hey, this girl's not getting so much better. She's having this new symptom. Maybe things are progressing that we really have to trust because that's what led us to the EKG and ultimately to our diagnosis. Thanks to Dr. Amy Ho. This is DDX, a podcast by Figure One, the knowledge sharing app for doctors. Figure One is an app that lets doctors share clinical images and knowledge about difficult to diagnose cases. DDX is produced by Earshot Podcasts. Sound design and mixing by Chandra Bulacan. Our theme music is by Nathan Burley. The executive producers of DDX are Jesse Brown and Corey Marr. You can find full show notes, photos, references, related medical cases, and links to the research on gender and diagnosis at figureone.com slash DDX. I'm Dr. Raj Bardwaj. You can follow me on Twitter at Raj Bardwaj, MD. Thanks for listening. <laughs>